Welcome to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View, bringing you intimate interviews with creative leaders reflecting on their personal journeys and their visions for the future. I'm your host, Sienna Fiquette. Today, I'm speaking with Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham, co-editors of Black Futures, a visual anthology from One World via Penguin Random House. Kimberly is a writer, curator, activist, and creator of the Tumblr blog Black Contemporary Art, which has featured artwork by nearly 5,000 Black artists. Kimberly is an iconic Leo. Jenna is a staff writer for the New York Times Magazine, co-host of the podcast Still Processing, as well as a sound healer, Reiki practitioner, and herbalist. Jenna is an iconic Scorpio. This book is a New York Times editor's choice. It is an archive of collective memory and exuberant testimony, a luminous map to navigate an opaque and disorienting present, an infinite geography of possible futures, and very much so the book I've been seeing in every window of every bookshop across New York City. For those who do not know, Black Futures is a collection of work including images, photos, essays, memes, dialogues, recipes, tweets, poetry, and more to tell the story of the radical, imaginative, provocative, and gorgeous world that Black creators are bringing forth today. Readers will go from conversations with activists and academics to memes and Instagram posts, from powerful essays to dazzling paintings and insightful infographics. Firstly, I'd like to say congratulations. This is a huge, huge thing, a brilliant body of work that you both have put so much work, love, energy, and care into. So one of the central driving questions the book curiously and thoughtfully explores is, what does it mean to be Black and alive right now? I love this question so much. So I would like to start us off by asking you this very same question. What does it mean to be Black and alive right now? Thank you for having us. We are both, you know, card-carrying members of the Sienna Fan Club. And so it's so nice to be here talking to you today. Oh, gosh. Kimberly and I have been getting this question a lot. And it's funny because even though it is the organizing principle of the book, it's a difficult question to answer, which is probably why we made a giant book about it, because there's there's so many ways to answer that question right now. Um, for me, I think it really means paying attention, seeing what's out there and learning from each other. I mean, I, I don't know, that sounds really basic, but I think this coming into the new year, I'm in this really soft, absorbent, porous place. I feel like people are making such incredible work, are thinking such incredible thoughts. And I really feel like my intention for right now is to absorb it and try to process it. I love that. Mm. Yeah, I feel similarly. Um, thank you so much for having us. It is a honor and privilege always to be in your space, virtual or otherwise. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one because it really is not necessarily a rhetorical question, but one that is almost like a cyclical question. One that I hope that we continue to over time return to. I think if last year, which is so refreshing to say now, 2020, a thing of the past, um, woo, did that. Um, if it taught us anything, it really taught us to just ask more questions about the way that we live. Um, to ask more questions about the way that we're perceived, the way that we want to show up in community, our potential impact on each other, um, how and when and where we want to share space and what does it really truly mean to be alive? And so it's always refreshing to hear it asked back and one that I, I question that I hope that so many of us really take to heart on a daily kind of like mantra like 
basis. It's not one to say like, okay, this is definitively what it is. And I think that's very much a metaphor for the book where it's like, we really drew large circles around this idea. And I think as editors, I hope that we encourage anyone who encounters the book in any way, shape or form to continue to ask themselves those open-ended prompts. Um, Because I think that that's where like true divination kind of comes from is, is this kind of like interior excavation, not necessarily aimed towards a direct singular answer, but one towards like this journey of, of, of questioning. Yeah. So this is kind of a lengthy question, but interpret it as you will. So yeah, I'm really interested in hearing about the journey of conceptualization of the book. So, you know, from an idea to this fully fledged anthology. Um, and then in your case, and very much so in our digital landscape by like you literally sliding so seamlessly into each other's DMs, which I love that you chose to include that exchange in the beginning of the book. That was so cute and heartwarming. So yeah, like I think maybe just you kind of explained it already in the book, but how I think, you know, a lot of people sit with like, how do you go from that idea and that feeling of wanting to connect with someone and like actually, okay, we're, we're working towards building a book. Maybe just talk a bit about that process of yeah, bringing it to life and probably the time it took as well to, to do that. Like this is probably many years <laughs> in the making. Yeah. I mean, it was hard. <laughs> um, it's not really a part of the process that we've had or made space to talk about publicly so much, mm. but, um, for the sake of, you know, really talking about the creative exercise of it, we made a commitment to each other as strangers in that moment. Like we, we met for the first time and in that first meeting decided that we wanted to create some sort of text to respond to this moment. Um, the idea was really born from Jenna's like genius brain and from the space of like vulnerability and magnetism and dynamism. And she came to me with this idea to create maybe a smaller project and a project that could really speak to these same themes. And I was like, okay, but if it's a smaller project, maybe not as many people will see it. So we need to go like full throttle and do this. And we sat across from each other and like literally were like, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, we're also going to make a book proposal and try to sell this thing um, to a major publishing house. And I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't magic. It was really just both of us committing nights and weekends and, what else is not nights and weekends, just like literally every cellular kind of moment that we had towards trying to compile this collection of, of spirits and souls. Like we went to people and tried to make sure that we could usher the best possible book possible. Um, but yeah, it really is just like looking at someone else in their face and saying, we're going to do this and then continuing to make that commitment, not just to the book, but to our partnership, not just to our partnership, but this broader kind of extension that we both believe in so firmly, which is to record what is going on in black life right now. Um, and we've had so many conversations in our group dynamic about how to make sure that the fortitude of our relationship withstands whatever comes our way. But that in and of itself is also work. And so, I mean, I hate when people respond like this, but it really is, is like, you have to find something that's so important that you can't help but commit to it. And I feel so fortunate to have found that in this project and to find Jenna as my partner and ushering that thing forward. Um, because it's so much of both of us and wouldn't be possible without, yeah, that diligence and like, I don't know. We're still working, you know, like we, we have both made this like really beautiful, um, commitment. I love that. 
I love all of that. I would just add that I think it was important to include the DM exchange too, just to demystify the process a little bit about it really was two people going out on a limb and deciding to trust each other. And the date felt important to include as well as Kimberly saying, just to underline, you know, these things take work and a lot of the sweat and the hardest parts are invisibilized and they're not, you know, they're not up for consumption because it just work doesn't work that way all the time. And so it feels important to just remind people who are sitting with the book or I guess even just for me personally, it's always important just as a creative, a creative who's also a professional and and does that full time that, you know, these things don't just happen overnight. Like they really take so much time because I think we really do live in an era and a world where it just feels, feels like everyone's just on there. You know what I mean? Like success game, like every other day, there's a new project coming out, a new album, a new film collab. This is that. It's like, all of that's amazing. But I, I also want to be really clear about the process, you know, and that this wasn't an overnight thing for us. And, and like Kimberly said, we still work on it all the time. And it's kind of baffling to me. Like, I'm like, when does the work stop? And I guess the answer is never, but. Yeah, actually, I had like a question about that, but you already answered. I was, you know, it seems like the work is just like very continuous in nature because, you know, it's black futures. It's, it lives in the future. So it's like this ongoing it's ongoing. The work is infinite, you know? And so I think that's kind of the beauty of it too. Um, I'm curious about, so this book is like chock full of so much good work. Like the first page, you've got the list of contributors. I just, I like stared at that for just like 10 minutes. I was like, whoo, this is about to be there. It's so rich. There's so much. Um, could you talk a little bit about that process of curation and editing the book? Like, Obviously, it's like there's folks who have like all sorts of different projects. You've got farming, you've got tech, you've got, you know, painting, zines. Like how how do you even begin to start to figure out, you know, who's going to go in the book? What's going to go in the book? You know, and and because I know you both, it's like obviously a lot of people in the book are, you know, coming straight from your community and personal relationships with people and knowing deeply the work, you know, so yeah, how is that kind of balance of, you know, reaching out to friends and people's work who you intimately know and have seen that grown and then also reaching out to artists perhaps, you know, you didn't have a personal relationship with before and like, you know, starting that conversation. Very nerve wracking. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to ask people for things, you know, especially when you're asking people that you know are just tapped on asks and who are so busy. And it really is a testament to, I don't know, maybe this the idea of the project that pretty much everybody we reach out to gave us their time. They gave us their energy. They gave freely. They gave very generously. And that is a marvel. And I think the first rounds of yeses really helped me see, okay, this is something we can do. And in terms of the curation process, um, you know, we were working up until the very last minute to try to figure out what else we could get in the book. And I think, you know, a book is a finite object and there's so much more that we would have loved to cram in there. And I feel like even now, I wonder if Kimberly's doing this too, but I'm, I'm like cataloging in my mind what else could be in the book or what else could be just, I don't know, just like top of mind, like this thing, this thing, this thing, just like cataloging stuff right now. Um, but a lot of our process was, you know, when we wrote the proposal, we had a completely different list of artists and writers and thinkers in the book. Some of them are, are, are in this final project, but we were just, I don't know. It was just kind of, 
iterative and it was evolving. And as we were both moving through the world, you know, eyes wide open, we would send each other links, we'd send each other screenshots, we send each other images. And, and it was, it was kind of a feeling like this feels, you know, worth preserving in this project that is a time capsule, that is a blueprint, that is meant to be, you know, this attempt at an archival project. So I think it's interesting too, because I think people have asked us about what didn't make it in the book. And it's, it's, I mean, we would have included so much more if we could have, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's really, as you mentioned too, it's such an ongoing process. Like it's, this is just one version of a thing that has existed for so long and will continue to exist. Yeah. And I think that also for us in trying to wrap our minds around what should be included and how to organize and all that stuff, um, so much of it was just continuing to like build this vortex of like questions and themes that we should include. Um, a lot of the pieces may manifest as a video game, but it's really like this universe around this video game or this universe around this person and making sure that we were tapping into so many global communities that we felt really wanted, that we really wanted to recognize. There's definitely, of course, like ones that I'm like, Oh, I wish, you know, we could include this group in this way. Um, but we tried so hard to make sure that every contributor in some way was a portal to another community, Mm -hmm. um, that the work in some way could speak to a community that maybe hasn't been highlighted in a way that feels like substantial to us as editors. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about it with, cause this is like the first interview that we've done in a little while, but thinking process wise about how, yeah, there's, like there's this percolation that happens when you start to ask your questions, like yourself questions, like what do you want to preserve for the future and how do you want it to be presented? And if you are to assemble things that you want to hand off to a future generation or even, you know, to appear to make sure that they are aware, um, those questions, yeah, it just never stops. It never stops. Um, and so I think for us, this, you know, this primary like project issue zero is, a really successful turn at us just like kind of going for it and people reciprocally going for it with us. There were so many people that we had contact with agents, galleries, um, the, the whole like to make this come together in a way that felt good for everyone. But yeah, there's, yeah, it's, it's just this ongoing thing. And so I'm happy, so happy with who we were able to loop in for this, but the work continues. I mean, the book, we were like, we want you to also make your own Black Futures project, but it's funny because we are also still stuck in this. <laughs> and by stuck, I mean like in the juicy, like, you know, molasses kind of way, like wading through this like really beautiful archive, um, this beautiful archival work. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love this phrasing too of it being an archive, a time capsule. Um, yeah, I think like very much, I think you even write this about the book itself. It it exists as a living archive, you know, obviously tying back to that first question, what does it mean to be black and alive right now? Um, I would love to know what is the importance of the archive or rather the act of archiving documentation, scrapbooking, photo albums, legacy, and historicizing stories to you both just on a personal level. How, how does, um, this work, uh, how do you engage with this kind of practice of archiving in your own practices? Like what is your, you know, what is your relationship to archiving? I, I'm just, you know, I would love to hear that from both of you. For me personally, it's always incredible to realize how much effort there is in re-remembering things, you know, like 
I feel like my entire life has been a process of discovery, discovery of some artist or some thinker, some writer who's, who's been there all along that I didn't know about or wasn't surfaced to me in school or, you know, that I had to rely on tumblers like Kimberly's to learn about. And I think the places where a lot of that discovery often happens are in these really incredible anthologies, including the ones that we mentioned in the introduction to the book, you know, also Black Woman's Writer by Claudia T, which is an incredible book. I always mention it because it's just interviews with every, you know, Black femme writer in the 70s. And it's just, it's it's amazing. It really is just such an incredible document. Um, Kimberly often talks about how cookbooks are types of archives too. You know, we, we come across ourselves in all these places and everything is really scattered and difficult to surface and unearth, which is definitely intentional. And I think also, I do think there's a way in which social media is, you know, functions as a part of our amnesiatic culture. It kind of makes you feel like there's always more, there's always something you're missing, but it's just really hard to retain that information. So, I mean, the book was definitely born as a response to that kind of disappearing, that that ephemerality on social media, feeling like, damn, some of the most exciting collaborations and interactions and dialogues are happening on these platforms that are not being preserved. So how do we think about that and how do we organize around that? Mm. Um, so that was one big principle. And then personally, I have so many books in my house. They're literally coming out of my ears and not just books, but, you know, prints and zines and works and just all kinds of things that to me, I want to hold on to. And that also is, co- that comes from the experience of going into, you know, the homes of my I was going to say mentors, but they're not really mentors. They're like my advocates, the people who I really look up to for their, for their life paths, you know, and, and just like having that same experience of discovering their home. I want to have that as well. And I know, I mean, I think Kimberly will talk about this more, but I think we both felt it was really imperative to encourage people and remind people that our lives are worth recording, you know, like that we don't have to wait on some institution, some gatekeeper, some museum, some higher quote body to decide something we thought or said or made was worthy, that we get to do that for ourselves. And that was a reminder to Kimberly and I as well. You know, we don't have to wait for anointment. You know, we can anoint ourselves. I love that so much, Jenna. And I think it's such a welcome reminder and one that like, you know, personally, because you know me very well, how important that is to me. Um, (laughs) Because there's this myth that I think we've so embedded within ourselves that like, we have to wait for someone else. Um, We have to wait for this confirmation or, you know, I'll make it big once I have this big gallery exhibition in New York, or I'll make it big once I'm featured on this platform. And of course, when we exist within like a capitalist structure, those things are essential to our survival. But at the same time, there's so much more possibility in understanding the power of witnessing each other. There's so much value in really sitting with each other and appointing each other and affirming each other that helps us, you know, should that be the path that we go on or should that never be the path that we go on? Because you need that kind of system of support either way. Um, mm-hmm. I want to shout out one of my like most amazing teachers, Dr. Kevin Kwashi who taught me at Smith college and writes often about sovereignty and silence. And he intro to black culture instead of just like doing, you know, souls of black folk and just like, you know, the kind of base canon. We listened to John Coltrane's a love Supreme. We listened to Erica Badu mama's gun and looked at them with this like reverence and regard as important cultural texts and went through the lyrics. And there was something about sitting in that kind of academic environment that really blew the top off for me. And that, 
yeah, of course these things are essential texts, you know, like there's so many ways that this born, this, this really birthed so much culturally that we still feel the effects of. And so what would it mean for us to sit in this setting, whether it's in a classroom setting or in the lawn or in a salon or whatever, and really sit with these cultural artifacts um, and hold them dear and true. And so I think that that reclaiming is an energy shift and a, and a power shift and a retention that I think is so particularly important to marginalized creatives because we cannot consistently be in the throes of a system that just is a violent one, you know, like no matter how you cut it, even if you're the most successful, there's, there's still so many ways that you're subject. And so it's important to be able to set up systems of support for yourself, to have editors, to have readers, to have witnesses. And that I think to be able to do that within community is just, is just amazing to be able to do that in spaces where you don't have to explain that word choice or that shape or that line um, that people, you know, come in and like run their finger across your bookshelf and know who you are and how you are, or maybe want to know more about who you are and how you are. That's, that to me is like the fabric of life and should be an important accompaniment to any other ideals of success. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I'm just like sitting with that, <laughs> sitting with that for a second. Um, yeah. I also just love this, this idea that you guys are like, you know, we are, like also, I mean, just talking about like tastemaking at large, like I feel like there's all these like gatekeepers and things. And I love that this book is just like celebrating the fullness of people. I don't know, speaking their truth and, and saying things that don't need this like sense of like validation. And it's, it's not oversaturated in this way that happens when your work or your phrase or whatever is like moved into this other space. I love. Yeah, I just love that kind of sentiment. Um, also, I think, okay, so the book, as we've discussed many times, the book is prismatic, infinite, nuanced, and, you know, talking about the nature of blackness, which is just so, so expansive. And I particularly love the way that the book is organized. You have chapters as a loose kind of organizing term. It starts with, you know, Black Lives Matter and moving into Black futures, power, joy, justice, ownership, memory, outlook. Black is still beautiful and legacy. I love just kind of this like organizational framework. Um, how did you decide on those specific categorizations and like what, you know, what bodies of work would be sitting next to each other? kind of in conversation with one another. The chapter structure definitely came from our brilliant publisher, Chris Jackson, who was just like, took a look at our Dropbox dump that was our CMS and was like, maybe chapters. Like, I, I love this, like, front to back, just, you know, collage style approach, but maybe an organizing principle would be great. And so we were like, oh, okay. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because the way the book is laid out is something we really deliberated on and we've really sat with and thought about commentary and what it would mean to move from one page to the next, from one section to the next, you know, what's on the section fronts. We thought a lot about those were, those are some of the most challenging parts of the book to design to figure out like, how do we walk people into a section? And, and also understanding too, that, you know, the sections are still limited in the fact that it's just so hard to get our arms around these things that are prismatic and so dynamic. Um, but it felt really good. And I think it felt, you know, it felt good to treat it as a trust exercise, you know, like people can start 
anywhere they want in the book. And that was something early on. We walked into our incredible designers workshop, Marco's Key, and we were like, can you make this book a circle? And they were like, that would be really hard, but we can definitely make it feel, you know, like a Mobius strip, just constantly evolving and and kind of moving through the whole text. Um, but that was a big priority for us as well, because both of us like to enter work however we see fit. And it feels really nice to, it's, it's also such a dense book that it would be hard to read front to back, but it's the kind of thing you flip through anyway. And so we love the idea of, of someone just kind of opening it to a random page and feeling like that might as well be the beginning. So the chapters were really us thinking about themes. Again, that themes, you know, like Black is Still Beautiful. I mean, that has a legacy beyond us too. And just also connecting us to these bigger themes that have always swirled around projects that try to get their arms around black life. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would add is like, I was just having a conversation with another friend. And I think, you know, as we're embarking on this new year, there's so many ways that we set resolutions and benchmarks and goals for ourselves. You know, I'm going to run five miles a day or like whatever. And I'm really happy with the book and its final iteration that it's not one that has to be read cover to cover. Um, it's not about like benchmarking and this like strange way that we kind of make work of everything. Um, it's really just like, it's a very, very casual experience. Like it's overwhelming because it's so much stuff, but I hope that people who encounter it understand that you don't have to read the whole thing, um, that you don't have to have like this critical analysis afterward. Um, we're really lucky because there's going to be two book clubs that we are aware of, I'm sure. And hopefully there will be more, but there's two book clubs that are reading the book this month. And I'm excited to engage with them and say like, you know, like what stuck out to you? Not like this overarching, comprehensive, like reading comprehension is just like so overrated. Like what stuck to your ribs? What really grabbed you? What do you, what do you retain? And what do you, what is now something that you know is your responsibility? There's this really amazing essay in the book by Dr. Ayanna Johnson about ocean justice. And she really is like, I'm telling you all this information such that you'll carry it with you. And so I'm really hoping that people who engage with the book, where wherever you find yourself, that you understand that now you yeah, you're in this like mini contract with this text and you can engage and set the terms of engagement however you feel. And that can be thematically, that can be, you know, at random, that can be just looking at a poem and then dipping out. Like there's so many points of entry. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's it's our gift to you is that you find where that is for yourself, but it doesn't have to be predetermined. Mm, mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I also think, okay, as a jumping off point, this relates perfectly into the next thing I wanted to ask. So I was looking at, you know, some of the reviews, some of the like little like snippets about the book. And there's this one from book list that reads, every reader will engage with this work differently and will be able to come back to it again and again for inspiration. So I believe this so much and, you know, such as with art in life, you know, you put something out and it's going to be received and interpreted in so many different ways, depending on who's reading it, who it's speaking to, you know, it hits different for me versus my mom versus my coworker, like whatever, you know? And so I think 
yeah, I'm interested into how you both have kind of navigated those various interpretations and reads of your work, you know, from folks very close to your life, family and friends, to maybe those who are a bit more distant, who are engaging with the work in this way. Like I even, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I saw, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross reading it, Angela Davis, Miranda July, like there's all from celebrityism and like, fucking like the the people who are like i don't know have been doing some things for a long time to like folks who you know are i don't know someone on the a train reading it like i'm just interested in like you know what i mean like the navigations of who is engaging with black future you know one of the most powerful pieces of feedback i got was from a friend who who i consider to be you know like well-versed like they live in new york they're part of the same you know circles and crews we all know and i just consider them kind of a gal about town as well and after getting the book they reached out and said you know i always have felt really alienated from these types of rooms and I feel like I don't understand art. Like I don't know how to read big essays. Like they, they work in, um, sorry, they work in the food industry and they were like, I don't ever feel like I know what to look for, what I'm looking at. And this book just made me feel so welcome and at home. And like, I feel like I do belong. And I just, it really moved me because I guess I just forget, you know, that that is such a luxury and it is such a privilege to feel as comfortable with this material as I do. And so that really moved me to just recognize that um, it's so easy to get like really monistic about your view. And I think it was helpful for me just to understand that that this book is speaking to people in ways that I can't even anticipate. It was also really meaningful to see little ones engage with the book and to see a lot of a lot of folks sent sent pictures of their their babies getting into it and just like flipping through the books and like touching the cover and that was really exciting to me too just to think about you know I mean I would have loved to be five years old seven years old thirteen years old eighteen years old and, and reencountering this book and having a different experience with it every time and that really that was really powerful too. And friends who bought books for their, like the, t- the teens in their life and me being like, Oh, well maybe just, you know, maybe tab these certain pages just to keep, you know, you might have, to have a discussion with them about what's on a couple of these pages, but also like, I don't know, like when I was little, I was reading sexy books and Stephen King and all kinds of crazy things. So, you know, just, just really realizing that it, it is a chameleon in this way and, and people have so many different responses to it, which is, which was our, one of our biggest hopes and dreams for it. But just to really see it in practice has been, um, so tremendous. Yeah. It's wild. You just don't, you just don't know where it's going to land or how it's going to land, but it's the hope that it brings fortitude. And I mean, I, I hope that it's something that people feel like they can see themselves in because I think, yeah, there's, I've had so many encounters with books where I'm like, I know that it says black on the cover and I know that I am black. (laughs) And then I get like into the second chapter and I'm like, woo, that took years (laughs) off of my life. Um, And so I hope that, yeah, it can be a soft landing place. That's how it was intended. Even in our first conversation, we were talking about what it would mean, you know, if someone in their travels entered into a shop in some random city and found the book. And if they opened to a page, like what that feeling would feel like was from the very, 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 very initial phases. This was a book that was made for other people and not just like some weird, like masturbatory intellectual exercise. It really was meant to be engaged with and to, to really be a companion to whoever encountered it. 
And so I hope that it continues to do that because I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that, that kind of exchange. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like there's just also such a, a intergenerational kind of way about the book and how, you know, different people might engage with it. Also, I've been reading, a, I love, I'm obsessed with reviews. So I'll just go on all the sites and just reading all the reviews. And, you know, so many people have said, oh, wow, this is like a modern history book. Like this needs to be in classrooms. And I was like, ooh, yeah, as an educational tool, like this is something from the college, whatever, collegiate world to like high school to straight up like me being in high school in East LA, like this would have been a book that would have woken me up out of my history class. <laughs> so I love that it exists in that way as well. Um, so the book feels very like techno culture to me as well. Like, and amazingly incorporates so many things of our digital, um, kind of culture now from memes to Twitter posts and kind of all of the wonders of contemporary cyberspace. So I just, I love that, that nature of it. I'm interested in, well, two things. First, how you see the, the Black Futures project really existing into, the world digitally on the internet, like different iterations of how it might exist. You know, you already said as a book club, um, just, I don't know, any other ways that are kind of percolating in your mind about how it might to continue to exist as, I don't know, other little iterations online, cooking, films, uh, a rave. I don't know, just like other ways that the internet gets weird and exciting with like physical, the physical objects kind of existing beyond. And then also what meme is resonating the most with you right now? Because we love memes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to chew on. I mean, I think, I think I will say that the book feels very web interested a lot to the credit of our designers, Marcos Key, because we had a few different directions that we were engaging with and considering, and they had this brilliant idea to make it not like this is a web browser, but like as close as you could get to like that sensation and feeling. And I think that their genius as designers as a team is that like proximity and like rubbing up against this thing, but not completely going off the edge. And a lot of the project was born because so much of what happens online is hosted on platforms that we don't own and also is, you know, more prevalent because of these platforms. And so that tension between the two things where there was this incredible opportunity for flourishing and for visibility, but then also for surveillance and co-option. And so how do you remedy mm. the space between those two difficult kind of poles? And so we tried to insert this text in the middle that could say, okay, here is a physical kind of nod to some of these incredible things that have happened in this digital space. And then some things that have happened like literally in the soul, in the soil, in the, in the grain, in the, like in the world, um, as we know it in this like strange binary that we've established between media technology and media and quote unquote real world. But I think we wanted to make sure that we could hint at the importance of archiving those digital things, even though they are fleeting and just so like there's so much potential for erasure. And then for, as far as memes, I don't know. I'm like very attracted to the memes that are like, which one are you today? And it's like eight photos of like this, this cat. And it's like the salad cat or like, you know, like the rainbow cat. And, and then just like hopping it into a group chat and seeing where people identify. <laughs> I don't know if that classifies as a meme, but that's where I'm at. Like, yeah, I'm like, whatever I can do to keep my group chats going, because that is my life's blood in this pandemic moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's all. Not not super that. concise, but we love the internet and this family. 
Well, I was also going to say our other favorite meme is like um, Elsa, like it's a pandemic. Like we love her, our TikTok viral queen. And that's not quite a meme, but she, I mean, she did kind of make it a meme. I think that's something we both really rely on right now. Um, I also love the like me and my girls when we get the vaccine memes because they're just so soft and gentle and, you know, they always make me giggle, but that was really uplifting. And then the Negro solstice was like, oh man, I always am like a hair offline. Like I'm always just like two steps out the door of social media. And then something like that happens. And I'm like, this shit is so good. Like people just talking about what superpowers they got and like who got left behind. And (laughs) I mean, I just had so many moments like lying on my couch, just like giggling. And I, I feel so grateful too, because I think that levity and that lightness and that, you know, ability to basically virtually play spades essentially or uno right it's like that that's the stuff that gives me life and it really makes me feel so you know for all the the downsides of social media and there are probably more downsides than upsides like that's the one upside that makes me feel so grateful to be black and alive right now is that like i am in on this fucking joke and it is the best joke mm-hmm. i love that i hope you're both happy with the powers that you got it's kind of what you were saying before, Kimberly, though, about, you know, not needing to use a different word or not needing to use a different signifier, like being in these spaces, you know, um, with Dr. Quashe, you know, just just recognizing that lesson over and over again. Like there's real freedom and liberation feels of being able to show up as your fullest self, however you, you know, choose to show up and where you want to be. And like, that's, I don't know, it's like something I, I have not had for the vast majority of my professional life. And so to feel it now and also to gl- get glimpses of it is is just, it's so life affirming and life giving. And I do this thing where like I print stuff out online, which is so weird and talk about archiving and recording, but like I'll print out the memes I like and just hold on to that because I don't know, it's just funny to me. Like it's funny to me and I'll keep it in like this little envelope. And it's like, that's that's the kind of shit that like I want to hold on to. Because even thinking about, you know, when we were working on this book, so many of the the big, I guess, memes or like Twitter hashtags or, or, or things that were really galvanizing people, we can barely name right now. Like if you ask somebody like, what was the biggest, you know, meme of 2014 or the biggest hashtag when people were really getting online, get really, really, really getting on social media, that shit is hard to remember. So, mm. yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Just kind of the the longevity and the timeline of when it began and, you know, where where it is now. And, you know, obviously it's never ending, but just that, yeah, like that marking of each of each. Yeah, the timelines like I mean, what is time, honestly, at this <laughs> at this moment? But yeah, just the marking of time. And I also think people have such specific attachments to certain times. You know, you're like, oh, man, 2016 is this song this, you know, style choice, this food. And it's like, so it's like in your mind, like it, you're, you're, you know what I mean? These markers of a time, um, especially in childhood and memory as well. Yeah. Mm, this is amazing. I have like all my little kind of fluffy questions now. Um, what has been truthfully, honestly, full candid, the most difficult and the most rewarding thing from this process? I always think it's interesting to reflect kind of after you've like, you've just done so much and now you're like Shavasana out right now. <laughs> oh my God. Are we in the Shavasana? Uh, um, I, I, I feel like, well, one thing I think is really rewarding or has been really rewarding in this process is like when Jenna was speaking, 
you mentioned memes and like being in on the joke and you know, I felt like my third, like I get very hotepy when I, when I just let myself, um, like with my third eye fully on dilated queen empress. Um, but when I think about it, I think a lot about like, what does it mean when we encounter those memes and we're in on the joke or not in the joke, you know, like what does it mean to regard this thing that someone has proposed with laughter? It's the same kind of thing as like to bear a witness to the thing to then like, show its importance or its value. And I think, you know, in creating this book and creating, you know, these interviews around it or the writing that we've done around it or the conversations that we've done around it is really inviting everyone into like that process and into this like set of materials that, you know, can be the things that you're in on the joke with, you know, like there's so many ways that art and culture are siloed from so many of us. And as co-editors, what we've hoped to do is break through that and say like, yeah, you know, it might not be, you know, it's not necessarily all humor, but it's really like now these things are a part of your vocabulary, these ideas, these principles, these folks, these communities, these cities that maybe you didn't have on your radar. Um, now you have, you know, this point of encounter with these stories. And I think that that's been really rewarding in so many ways to just invite people into things. Cause there's so many things that I even learned about. Like we have this really beautiful set of spreads in the book that, um, that, were from Jenna's like genius brain around retaining hashtags and having people write about hashtags that they encountered and what happened offline, you know, in relationship to these hashtags. And there are a few hashtags that I, I didn't encounter, but now I know if I see it in the world, like, Oh, it's born from this thing. This is the idea. This is this essential like thesis or kind of idea that people were getting at and engaging with this thing. And there's something about that kind of like entrance into the thing. That's so dope. And I think so important and something to be really cherished because of course it invites like surveillance and all these other things, but being able to record, retain and invite is such a powerful principle thing to do. Um, and to do that thoughtfully is the challenge to do that respectfully is a challenge to encourage that momentum over time is the challenge. Um, and then there's of course like brass tacks, like Jen and I like have an LLC and like a business and are trying to like survive out in these streets. That's a challenge, which is for another interview for another day. But I think just holding precious these materials to make sure that we are all aware of them and that they are not forgotten, you know, that, that is, that is the work. Mm, Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I think the hardest part is the the hardest part of working on the book is just, is the same hard thing about working on, on any project that you care deeply about and then release into the wild, which is, you know, it's never really done. And there's this, there's this trying to paraphrase this quote that I like about, poems like poems are never done you just you submit them for publication you know things are never really done and I think I'm such a perfectionist to a fault um which I'm working on in 2021 but you know there is always more that you would want to do and so that's really tough of feeling like man we could have worked on this for another year but it was just time it was time was go time and so we had to get it out and so that is that is a real that's yeah that's a hard the hard part about it Mm-hmm. But the rewards are so deep and vast and they're still unveiling. And I'm still thinking about, you know, how we were talking earlier about the different places the book has gone. And I saw somebody tag it uh, sitting on a on an end table in a beauty salon. And that made me really happy. And I think one of the biggest rewards has been 
you know, this is an actual thing. It's not an abstract idea anymore. It's not a concept. Like it's in the world and people are encountering it and they're looking at it. And that feels so fucking good. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a rare experience these days that there is a tangible material object out in the world that you've made that people are engaging with. And that feels incredible and unparalleled. I did not know what that would feel like. And it feels great as, as terrifying as it is. It also feels really great. And I think also the completion of a project like this has also slowly been, it's interesting because it's kind of slowly changing how other people interact with me because it is such an enormous project that people have been hearing about for a really long time. And then to actually see it materialize, like, I don't want to say that people are taking me more seriously, but I do feel like people are like, Oh, you weren't bullshitting like this. (laughs) You made this thing. Here it is. Here's your mixtape. So I don't know. That's been really fascinating too. Like it it kind of makes me chuckle. Um, But that's also been exciting because I I do feel like um, it holds a lot of promise no matter what comes next for Kimberly and I. It's just so great that we made a thing. Yeah. And the Black Futures mixtape dropped, as you put it, that feeling where the mixtape truly dropped. Like, that's that's so amazing. I'm yeah, I'm just in awe of y'all. Like, this is such a huge, huge project. Like, yeah, just talking about it, like, I think. I'm really feeling the weight of the love, the energy, the like working around in your brain, like all the, all those things that you put of yourself into the process and the project. I think, um, I'm happy that is able to be recognized even just for a second on this little podcast moment. And yeah, I appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me and reflect with me and come into the, zoom space with me i know zoom is exhaustive so i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this morning and i just have so much love for you guys so we love you too (laughs) thanks for tuning in to the cultured magazine podcast points of view we look forward to bringing you exciting interviews with artists and their visions for the future every month Thank you to the podcast team for making this happen. To our editor, Randy Chapman, our sound engineer, Lars Probert, our theme music by Color Plus, and Cultured Magazine. 